Good morning, everyone, and happy Monday. We've made it through a whole month of 2020. It's now February the 3rd, and we are here this morning with Randy Fry. How are you, Representative Fry? Good morning, Joni. I'm great. You know, it's, uh, the weather's been pretty nice, so I'm, uh, I, I don't know how anyone couldn't be great with uh, such good weather. Absolutely. It's hard not to follow Puxatawney Phil when he said that we're going to have spring much sooner than winter. So. Uh, uh, I'm for I'm for that. <laughs> Absolutely, same here. So it was delightful to see you on Saturday at the legislative update in Greensburg. How do you feel it went? I think it went good, Jody. I mean, we had a big crowd. Uh, we had four legislators there. Senator Perfect was there. Senator Lysing, Representative Zimke, and myself, and we had a full crowd. We went an hour and a half, and probably could have went twice that long. But, Absolutely. Uh, um, it, it's important, Jody, for uh, the the public to hear what we're working on and then for us to hear what their thoughts and uh, are on any subject and we, we had a wide variety of discussions so I think it was excellent yeah absolutely all, all kinds of discussions from um, discussion of equine dentistry to uh, mental health <laughs> seemed to be maybe the largest topic I feel like uh, a concern for mental health permissions and children well, that's right, Jody, and uh, uh, we we are are as a society uh, have a much higher uh, percentage of people today with mental health illness than than in the past, and so we as a state have to adjust that and provide better treatment options, both for our uh, jails, for instance. We know mental health is a huge problem in the in our incarceration, but also in the even in the school corporations. So. Uh, it's good to hear from uh, Superintendent Hunter. We'll try to uh, take his uh, uh, concerns uh, and and try to incorporate them into a better piece of legislation. Absolutely. Now, today is actually an important day for the legislative session. Uh, can you explain that to our listeners? It is, Jody. Today is the end of the first half in the House of Representatives. Today is the third reading deadline, meaning any bill that hasn't passed the House of Representatives that is a House bill, uh, would not get a hearing this year, would not be able to be passed this year. Um, however, it could be amended into a different bill in the second half. There are procedures for that. But for the most part, most of the bills that did not get a hearing are not coming back. And uh, so they'll have to wait until another year, and some of them should wait for many, many years. Some of them will be back next year. So. Uh, the first half is a, a real serious de demarcation point where you can say, okay, we can pretty much forget about those and just watch these, these are the ones that have passed. It's just the point where you feel like you can take a deep breath and then dive right back in, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, Jody. Tomorrow we'll begin to get Senate bills on bill lists, and those bill lists have the bills that came past the Senate in the first half. Coming to our committees, I'll have a whole list of bills that came from the Senate assigned to my committee. We'll begin looking at them and determining, do we hear them? Should we hear them? Uh, and, and in what order? And then next Tuesday, a week from tomorrow, we should have our first committee hearing uh, on whatever bills came over from the Senate. It's uh, hard to say at this point how many will be or, or how many will hear. We just have to take it as they come and uh, weigh each bill on its merits. And as of today, you've got 94 bills that have passed the House. And I'd like to discuss Bill 1070, the distractive driving hmm. bill, if we can. Yeah, Jody, that bill was uh, authored by Representative Polly Sullivan. Is a, a bill that the governor talked about in his uh, 
state of the state message. Um, a few years ago, I think it was 2011, we passed a bill that uh, made it illegal to text and drive. The court said it was not enforceable, and so it uh, has basically can't be enforced. Uh, and so we came back this year with a, a different attempt to say that you can't hold your telephone while you're driving and while you're in motion. Does it mean you can't use it? Does it mean it can't be uh, laying in a cup holder? I have mine in a mount that fits on a on the console of my pickup truck. I uh, have Bluetooth technology, but if you don't, you can buy Bluetooth or you can use hands-free uh, speakerphone, whatever works for you. Uh, you can continue to use your phone. What we're trying to do is cut down on distracted driving. And I'm sure that your listeners are saying, well, there's a lot of things that distract people when they drive from. Uh, I've seen men shave. I've seen ladies put on makeup. I've Absolutely. seen people read books. I've seen them read newspaper. Um, they may have a pet on their lap. It's on and on and on, a hamburger. Yes. Um, so what, what we're doing, Jody, is targeting what we consider the biggest offender uh, when it comes to distracted driving that leads to accidents, and that's cell phone. Uh, the numbers are have just gone up and up and up in the last few years, and we believe that's because of the cell phone. So um, you can still use it. You just would have to have it um, uh, on a hands-free of some kind uh, like that. And no, Bluetooth is not in the law. Who knows what new technology will come by? simply says hands-free. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's no small thing, Jody. Estimated $231 million in crash expense last year. I mean, that's a lot, but yeah. also we had, we had folks who came to committee and testified that um, there were, um, that that had lost a leg, a lady and a gentleman who were on their motorcycles were hit by a distracted driver on her cell phone, and uh, and uh, they had each lost a leg, and they were lucky probably to be alive. Mm-hmm. We had uh, one of our own from Jacksonville, a young lady was killed back in 2013, uh, I believe she was on her cell phone or texting. Her mom testified in committee. Uh, so this is a serious issue. And uh, in 2018, there were 10,466 collisions in Indiana caused by distracted driving. And in 2017, there were 3,166 people killed nationwide in distracted driving accidents. It's just, you know, from from an, uh, the perspective of an old fireman, um, if we can prevent uh, injury, and we should. Sure. Right? No one ever sets out when they leave their home to think, I'm going to hurt somebody today because I'm not going to be paying attention. And all of us think it couldn't happen to me. But it does happen. And then the the tragedy is we can't fix it. We can't go back and, and do over. It's too late. So that's where that bill came from. That's what it's about. And uh, the bill actually passed the House 86 to 10 with overwhelming bipartisan support. So uh, we'll see what happens when it goes to the Senate. It's still a bill, and it still has to pass the Senate. Absolutely. And it sounds like, as it's written currently, um, this will allow people to still be able to use, like, GPS programs as long as they're doing it through um, hands-free. Absolutely, Joni. You can use your phone uh, for for your GPS, your maps, whatever, the same as before. You just don't hold it in your hand. Absolutely. Well, I know there's some confusion early on with the discussions that that might not be possible as well. And, and, and that kind of panicked some people, one myself, who wouldn't probably know how to get around without being able to <laughs> look at the GPS or a map somewhere sometimes. So, 
And Jody, that brings up a really important uh, point. During committees, we dig deep into the bills themselves, and we hear testimony from safety, uh, public safety, sometimes in this case with state police or NDOT. We hear from uh, those who um, are, are injured. Uh, we hear we hear from all kinds of experts, physicians, um, and the committee process is so important because sometimes someone will come up with a concept that sounds really good or it sounds really bad. Right. But until you really look at it and determine what the content of the amendment or the bill is, you don't know. Uh, the perception isn't always accurate. Uh, what I commonly say is that does the intent of the author match the content of the legislation or the amendment? And sometimes it doesn't. And so that's why the committee process is so important. That's why we take so much time in committee before a bill ever comes to the House floor. Uh, that, that it, the committee process in the General Assembly is vitally important to the success of, of our work. Absolutely. That was great. If you just tuned in, we are speaking with Representative Randy Fry today. It's Legislative Monday, I guess I could start calling it for a little bit longer. Uh, <laughs> you're also working on an, another bill that passed recently was the Educational Credit Time, Bill 1120. Yes, Jody. That, that particular bill, authored by Representative Greg Sturwald, I'm co-author, uh, is one of our bills that we're trying to do to uh, help with jail overcrowding. And what it does, Jody, is it gives uh, the ability for someone to have time served by um, instead of necessarily getting a GED or a high school diploma, they can get um, a, a technical uh, certificate. For instance, they could become a welder, they could become an electrician, they could become a plumber, uh, heating and air conditioning, those types of skills. So when they leave their incarceration, they can go out and then provide for themselves and their family. We know that one of the biggest factors in returning uh, into the criminal justice system is an inability to provide for yourself and your family. And so we just felt like um, it would be an encouragement to those who are incarcerated to get time uh, off their sentence if they uh, made it uh, better for themselves when they get out in order to provide for themselves and have a, a reasonably good job that could uh, pay a good wage. So that's uh, that's where that came from. That bill passed the House 94 to zero. So very much a very popular bill. Absolutely. And how um, on your other works for jail overcrowding, how is that going so far? It went well. Uh, the bill passed, my bill passed the House last week unanimously and as I headed over to the Senate, uh, Senator Eric Cook will have it over there. Um, and that bill is just simply uh, cr requires all jails to participate in a statewide database uh, so that we can see, we at the state level can see um, where our jails are overcrowded, why, who's in, for what reason, for how long. And then also it continues the work of the Jail Overcrowding Task Force um, to continue to study uh, why jails are overcrowded and try to continue to find solutions uh, sometimes the solution is build a bigger jail. It is. But other times, maybe that maybe there are other options. And so we want to look at that as well. Um, so it, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, uh, very, very deep subject. And uh, there's going to be a 
take a long time to uh, really make a, a big difference. It's just so complex. Now, switching topics here, Bill 1004, Balancing Bill for Medical Care. I know this has been a subject for many people on discussion. It has, Jody, and uh, the surprise billing, as what it, what it's known as here yes. in the General Assembly, is is to say that if you had a medical procedure, a surgery, for instance, and you go into the facility, the facility is in your network, your, your primary physician may be in your network, may not, uh, and maybe you have an anesthesiologist uh, who's not in your network for your procedure, you will see that, wait a minute, my in-network facility was this much, my doctor was this much, but the person out of my network was much higher because my insurance doesn't pay at the same percentage. And so what this bill says is, you could still do that. You can still seek medical treatment wherever you wish, but the facility that you're going into must tell you in advance that one or part of the team that's going to be providing your procedure is not in your network. Then you, the patient, can decide, and this is not telling you as you're about to have surgery, it's in advance, stays sure. in advance, right? so that you can then make a uh, informed decision about whether you want to proceed with that or, or take a different path for your uh, health care. Um, we just felt like that's something that people need to know, and a lot of times patients don't know until they get that big bill, and at times it can be devastating. Absolutely. So now people can feel like they have at least a little bit of control on what's going on with their health care. Absolutely. And uh, again, they don't, uh, they can continue to go and have the health care they want. They'll just know that when they get the bill, that the bill is going to be higher for the one or part of the individuals who are not in their network if they choose to do that. Absolutely. And your bill on the firearm foam coating, that passed as well. It did, Jody, passed 98 to 0. Um, what we're talking about here is a firefighting foam. Firefighters use foam in certain situations to extinguish a fire. Aircraft fire would be one. Uh, chemical fire would be one. Petroleum fire would be one. And what it, the firefighters do is they create a blanket, and it is a blanket of foam that smothers the fire. Well, what we have found is that um, the runoff, the residual from that chemical causes cancer. And so what this bill, House Bill 1189, authored by Representative Peggy Mayfield, and I'm co-author, says that if you're using this foam in training, only in training exercises, you must catch the runoff. So if you're going to use it in a uh, um, aircraft fire or petroleum, as we said, you'd use it as you do without this legislation. But if you're going to use it during training, you must catch any of the runoff, and it must be contained and, and taken, not allowed to get into the to the groundwater. So that's uh, that's what House Bill 1189 does. That came from the organization that um, uh, deals with this kind of thing, and they uh, requested it. And so uh, again, it passed 98 to zero, but uh, had had no negative uh, comments on it at all. Well, very good. Congratulations on that. Now, one bill that you are still working on is the helmet law. Helmet bill, that's right. That'll be up today on third reading. Um, and that bill, uh, Jody, it, uh, it's kind of gotten uh, maybe a, 
maybe folks have heard uh, negative comments about it. So let's start with what we always intended. Yes. The helmet bill, as it's known, uh, in its its inception, would have required a child to wear a helmet when they're riding a bicycle, a scooter, a skateboard, those type things, Uh, 17 years old or younger. Um, But we always wanted to protect uh, the child, uh, the individual, from head injury. Yeah. Um, we know that uh, in Indiana, Medicaid pays for around $1 billion a year just to take care of those with traumatic head injuries. And so um, the original bill said that a child would have to or they could get a fine. It could get a fine, didn't mandate it. So we amended that bill in committee last week and we took out that language. There's no penalty in it. Uh, there's no mandate in it that a child must wear a helmet. There is no requirement that the township trustee must provide helmets. Those are all gone. But what we did create was a statewide educational program in conjunction with the Indiana Department of Homeland Security and the Indiana State Board of Health to go throughout the state and educate both parents and young people on the need to protect themselves when they're uh, on one of these devices, especially with a helmet. Uh, and, and folks, these helmets are between four dollars and ninety-five cents and six bucks. This isn't an expensive helmet. Right. But we also um, have uh, a program set up through the Indiana Department of Homeland Security's Homeland Security Foundation, where we can accept donations to the foundation to purchase helmets. Um, the Homeland Security Foundation would buy the helmet and distribute them to public safety agencies that want them, your police officers who want them, some do. Your firefighters, both professional and volunteer, have embraced it and would be happy to take them, and they'll educate themselves on what helmet fits what child and how to do that. And and if we had enough donations that we could provide helmets in every firehouse, we would do that. It's going to be uh, hard to say how many how much donations we can get. But our goal has always been to protect someone from a traumatic head injury. I can tell you that um, the young lady who brought me this legislation is Becky McNichol. Becky's son, Scott, uh, was tr- terribly injured. Uh, in a, he was skiing, and he hit a tree with his head. And Scott went from a promising young 20-something-year-old to now uh, Scott lives in a nursing home in a wheelchair. Mm. And he will never be uh, independent. Um, my granddaughter was born with cerebral palsy. Now, I understand cerebral palsy is a birth. Uh, injury. It's not uh, traumatic, but the result's the same. Yes. Um, that she would never have been able to live independently. Uh, the financial burden to the family was astronomical, uh, and it's, it's heartbreaking. And so when you see something like that and you realize we could prevent some of these, that's the motivation. That's the driving factor. So hopefully with our education program, folks will understand that uh, they just need to get a helmet on their kid. Uh, just to protect the child. And uh, and we want every child to grow up to be a healthy adult and have uh, the best life that, that they could possibly have, as, as we wanted for ourselves. Uh, but we never wanted to uh, punish anyone or, or make it punitive, simply trying to educate folks that are need. Yeah, absolutely. I can't even think of any scenario ever where a child shouldn't wear a helmet when on those kinds of things. So... Um, way to take a proactive measure in trying to educate the community and the in the state. Well, thank you, Jody. And as we know, 
no one leaves home uh, to ride their bike, no child or adult, for that matter, and thinks, I'm going to get a head injury today. Sure. I had more than one person tell me I rode a bike my whole life and never had a helmet. Look at me. Well, <laughs> you need to thank God that you didn't get a head injury. Yes. And, and most people don't. I get that. But some do. And once it happens, and I, Johnny, as a professional firefighter, I've been to so many of these accidents. And the one thing that you always hear is, I, I couldn't believe this has happened. If I could take it back, I would. If we could do something about it, we would. But you can't. Right. You can't fix it. So the only way to fix it is prevent it. Uh, and that's that's my goal has been from the beginning with the beginning of the bill. I hope we can continue to uh, to get this bill in that position. Uh, and I, I'm I'm sure Senator Kreider will handle it in the Senate, and it'll pass. Uh, Homeland Security has been fantastic, along with the Board of Health, in helping us. And uh, maybe maybe we can start preventing these young people from having their lives destroyed simply because they wanted to ride their bike. Well, best wishes with your final push today, getting that passed. Uh, uh, Thank you, Jody. It sounds like a great way for the state to go. Any final words for the uh, for the day and for the week? Well, it's going to be a busy day for sure. We've got a lot of bills on third reading. We have to get through them all. Of course, we can't save anything for tomorrow because tomorrow is the beginning of the second half. So got to get to work. Uh, but uh, I look forward to it. I look forward to getting my bills through and, and uh, getting started on the second half and starting to hear from my colleagues over in the Senate. Um, session is in, in uh, full bore, as they say. It's uh, wide open. Well, best wishes. And we look forward to hearing how the second half starts off next week. Thank you, Jody. I look forward to talking to you.